the left has won again. The New York Times columnist and editor Barry Weiss has resigned her position at the paper, and she wrote a scathing denunciation on her way out the door. Faulting the paper for not living up to the high standards of journalism, Weiss revealed her struggles to be a centrist at a paper that punishes wrong think and permits a culture of hostility for even just an openness to conflicting views. Barry Weiss reminded her colleagues of their former leader's vision in 1896, quote, to make of the columns of the New York Times a forum for the consideration of all questions of public importance, and to that end, to invite intelligent discussion from all shades of opinion, end quote. At the New York Times today, however, they are shrinking the category of acceptable opinion to a pinhole that harms us all because, as Barry Weiss rightly points out, quote, ideas cannot win on their own. They need a voice. They need a hearing, end quote. The New York Times has decided to shut down those voices on their pages and no longer will let the best ideas win. This betrays a lack of confidence that indeed their ideas are the best ideas. I'm Gail Trotter, host of The Gail Trotter Show. I'm a liberty-loving and tyranny-hating lawyer based in your nation's capital. My goal is to keep you informed and to be your spokesman in Washington, D.C. Please subscribe below so you don't miss a daily episode. Hit the bell and let me know what topics you would like me to cover in the future. I'm getting a lot of good topic suggestions, and I'm sorting through them to decide which ones will really appeal to you. I have two reflections about Barry Weiss's resignation to share with you today. First, I'm going to link down below to Barry Weiss's letter to publisher A.G. Salzberger of the New York Times. Her letter goes into several points. She she shares with uh, A.G. Salzberger the reason why she was hired. Quote, I was hired with the goal of bringing in voices that would not otherwise appear in your pages. First-time writers, centrists, conservatives, and others who would not normally think of the Times as their home. The reason for this effort was clear. The paper's failure to anticipate the outcome of the 2016 election meant that it didn't have a firm grasp of the country that it covers, end quote. I thought this was such an excellent point, and you might remember we've discussed other times on this show about how the New York Times during the 2016 campaign said basically to throw all journalistic standards aside. They were going to throw out the textbook of journalism to try and defeat Donald Trump because they saw him as a unique threat to the country. I think that was because he was not beholden to the financial interests that a lot of these candidates are beholden to. He was not beholden to a party. People weren't even sure if he was a Democrat or a Republican before he started his presidential campaign, and they weren't sure that he was going to align himself with the platform of the Republican Party. And people were also concerned in the elite stratosphere that he had said such outrageous things that they were not going to be able to cower him back by monitoring his language or policing his language. 
And so we saw that the New York Times was one of those venerable institutions that went all out to try and throw their weight against the election of Donald Trump. But the American people spoke and Donald Trump was elected. He was inaugurated and despite many efforts to take him down through the Russia hoax investigation and the impeachment process and all of the other things that the left and the Democrat Party have tried to throw at Donald Trump, they have been unsuccessful. But it's fascinating in this letter by Barry Weiss that she points out specifically the reason she was hired was a reaction to the New York Times failure to understand why Donald Trump would be elected, why he would appeal to people, And the effort was to try and uh, fix that blind spot that the New York Times had. So she goes into that in her letter. Then she asks the question, essentially, has the lesson been learned by the New York Times? The, the, The failure that they had before to understand and predict how Donald Trump would be elected president of America, of the United States, and then going on further into that, understanding whether or not they've actually taken any uh, lesson from this and applied it and reformed their behavior. Barry Weiss's answer is no. She, I read her from her letter. But the lessons that ought to have followed that election, lessons about the importance of understanding other Americans, the necessity of resisting tribalism, and the centrality of the free exchange of ideas to a democratic society, have not been learned. Instead, a new consensus has emerged in the press, but perhaps especially at this paper, that truth isn't a process of collective discovery, but an orthodoxy already known to an enlightened few whose job it is to inform everyone else, end quote. This always reminds me of people on the left talking about how they want to have a discussion or they want to have a national conversation or they want to have a dialogue. But really what that is is a code word for being lectured about whatever the received wisdom of this orthodoxy of a few Americans is on the rest of American society and American people. And if you don't align with it, then you're shunned, you're toxic, you're radioactive, you're thrown out of polite society. And we're seeing that Barry Weiss is calling out the New York Times for just this type of behavior. She also goes on in her letter to Salzberger, which she published on her website for the whole world to read, she talks about the role of Twitter. And we know that Twitter is a big force in this national discussion now, and it's fascinating. She writes in her letter, quote, Twitter is not on the masthead of the New York Times, but Twitter has become its ultimate editor. As the ethics and mores of that platform have become those of the paper, the paper itself has increasingly become a kind of performance space. Stories are chosen and told in a way to satisfy the narrowest of audiences, rather than to allow a curious public to read about the world and then draw their own conclusions, end quote. I could not have said it better. Now you do, we do understand the New York Times is a business and so they need subscriptions and advertising, they need revenue and they appeal to a certain audience. Not everyone reads the New York Times, not everyone is interested in the New York Times. So they have to make sure that they fulfill their vision 
of their founder and of journalism generally and of fair play and equal treatment and diversity and yet they also need to respond to their audience they they need to reflect what their audience wants to see but I think that this is really infantilizing their audience because it's saying that they need to protect them from views that are in the mainstream, that are commonplace views, but that they're essentially saying their audience just can't take these views, that they're not going to be able, they're not gonna give them a platform for these views and their audience is too delicate to see these opposing viewpoints. So then she goes in her letter to to describe what she personally experienced at the New York Times. So this isn't just someone from the outside throwing stones. This is someone who worked at the paper for roughly three years, and she's detailing her personal experiences in the trenches, how she was treated by the other employees, what kind of pushback she got for trying to follow this vision of journalistic integrity. Quote, my own forays into wrong think have made me the subject of constant bullying by colleagues who disagree with my views. They have called me a Nazi and a racist. I have learned to brush off comments about how I'm writing about the Jews again. Several colleagues perceived to be friendly with me were badgered by coworkers. My work and my character are openly demeaned on company-wide Slack channels where masthead editors regularly weigh in. There, some coworkers insist I need to be rooted out if this company is to be a truly inclusive one, while others post axe emojis next to my name, end quote. So just think about the illogic of that, that this woman, Barry Weiss, is being told by her colleagues in a public forum seen by the editors, the people in charge, her superiors, that she needs to be pushed off the island. She need to, needs to be voted off the island so that the New York Times can be a more inclusive place. That The, the illogic of that just uh, boggles the mind. And she also is pointing out in this passage that it's not just a whisper campaign or something that's being done behind her back. No, she says that it's being done in full view of the people who run the paper and they're tolerating this behavior that is directed at Barry Weiss. So what is going on at the New York Times right now? She tells us about this, quote, showing up for work as a centrist at an at an American newspaper should not recover brave, require bravery, end quote. So she's saying this very carefully. She's not even a conservative. She's not holding herself out as a conservative. She's not even advancing that principle. She's saying just as a centrist, someone who's not down with the full leftist agenda. And she was saying it required bravery for her to go to work. Quoting further, Part of me wishes I could say that my experience was unique, but the truth is that intellectual curiosity, let alone risk-taking, is now a liability at the Times. Why edit something challenging to our readers or write something bold only to go through the numbing process of making it ideologically kosher when we can assure ourselves of job security and clicks by publishing our 4,000th op-ed, 
arguing that Donald Trump is a unique danger to our country and the world. And so self-censorship has become the norm. So think about that. She's right. They have published innumerable op-eds bashing Donald Trump and by extension, his supporters and his voters. And she's saying that there's an intense pressure, even on the people at the New York Times who might not be down with the far left agenda, to censor themselves, to make sure that they get plaudits from their editors and their colleagues for writing the right kind of piece. So she goes further and she explains how double standards are the rule at the New York Times. Quote, what rules remain at the New York Times are applied with extreme selectivity. If a person's ideology is in keeping with the new orthodoxy, they and their work remain unscrutinized. Everyone else lives in fear of the digital thunderdome. Online venom is excused so long as it's directed at the proper targets. So it reminds me of the First Lady's Be Best program against bullying on the internet. And it is so funny that the left decries the bullying, and yet they are some of the most virulent bullies that bullies that I have ever seen. The level of venom and vitriol that they lob at their opponents is quite dastardly. But for some reason, they don't reflect on themselves and say, oh, bullying is against our values and we shouldn't do this. And instead, they just think you shouldn't do it against the people that they hold in esteem. But it's fair game against the people that they think are the proper targets. So she also talked about how there has been a big change of direction in the op-ed page, which you would think would mean they hired Barry Weiss to try and understand the rest of America better. So you would think the change in reaction to the 2016 election is that it would be more open. The op-ed page would be more open. You'd have more conservative voices, more independent voices, more centrist voices, but no. Barry Weiss writes, quote, Op-eds that would have easily been published just two years ago would now get an editor or a writer in serious trouble, if not fired. She talks about how people who want to cover these topics or want to get these voices, they're steered to safer ground. And quoting further from her, and if every now and then she succeeds in getting a piece published that does not explicitly promote progressive causes, it happens only after every line is carefully massaged, negotiated, and caveated. And she uses as an example the Tom Cotton op-ed, which I will link to down below. It got published in the New York Times. I believe it now has a trigger warning above it. And it, as Barry Weiss says, it took the paper two days and two jobs to say that the Tom Cotton op-ed, quote, fell short of our standards, end quote. And when you think about that, they had to have two heads roll to try and get the purity back on the op-ed page of the New York Times. And this is a sitting Republican senator with a viewpoint that a lot of Americans shared. And the way that it was ginned up and the overreaction to it shows that 
it's not enough to allow leaders in the Republican Party to come onto the pages of the New York Times and share their opinions, their viewpoints, their solutions. They have to not only take that person out, they have to take out anybody who would allow it to anywhere come close to gracing the op-ed pages of the New York Times. I love how Barry Weiss, further in this later, goes into talking about how the New York Times is essentially a different land than ours. Quote, the paper of record is more and more the record of those living in a distant galaxy, one whose concerns are profoundly removed from the lives of most people. This is a galaxy in which, to choose just a few recent examples, the Soviet space program is lauded for its diversity. The doxing of teenagers in the name of justice is condoned. And the worst caste systems in human history includes the United States alongside Nazi Germany. End quote. So think about that. The idea that the Soviet space program should be praised because it's diverse. It reminds me of another op-ed that I think the New York Times published talking about how well women did in communist China, how women had so many more opportunities in communist China and essentially America could learn something about the treatment of women from communist China, which just boggles the mind. And then the idea of doxing teenagers in the name of justice, we have seen that over and over again. So it's not enough to keep their op-ed board opinion pure. They want to punish anyone with the power of their platform out in the hinterlands of America to make sure that these, eyes, these ideas are crushed before they can take root. Barry Weiss believes that most people at the New York Times do not hold these views, but they are scared. They want protection, they want to keep their jobs, and as she says, standing up for principle at the paper does not win plaudits. It puts a target on your back. Then she goes on in her letter to talk about this effect on young professionals, young journalists. This is what they're learning from the New York Times. Rule one, speak your mind at your own peril. Rule two, Never risk commissioning a story that goes against the narrative. Rule three, never believe an editor or publisher who urges you to go against the grain. Eventually, the publisher will cave to the mob. The editor will get fired or reassigned, and you'll be hung out to dry. Why is this terrible? She shares with us, quote, Americans still hunger for news that is accurate, opinions that are vital, and debate that is sincere. I hear from these people every day, Barry shares with us. She says America is a great country and deserves a great newspaper. I'm wondering if her asserting that America is a great country is wrong think. A lot of people would say that it is. The second reflection that I want to share with you about the resignation of Barry Weiss today is you might be thinking, who cares? We have the internet. We have conservative publications. But Barry Weiss's criticism of the New York Times does matter because it is seeding this field. You may not want that field. 
You may not respect the New York Times. You may not read the New York Times, but the New York Times is an influential voice in our national discussions. If we permit them without any complaint to ban commonplace voices and ideas from their opinion pages, you have taken some views and some solutions off the table. Conservatives should demand that they be heard, especially in places that their voices are not celebrated. Part of politics and culture is persuading others of the validity of one's views and solutions. If you cannot even persuade the other side to listen, you are certainly not going to win the political and cultural battles ahead. Today, we enjoy more ways to obtain voluminous information and news quickly and more easily than ever before. You might think that the New York Times is a dinosaur or so far left that it doesn't matter what they decide to print. I believe we should care. We should push back and encourage them to publish diverse views and not enforce groupthink on their editors and writers and contributors. Or they should stop calling themselves a newspaper and they should reestablish themselves as a political action group and be subject to the rules that govern political organizations. I'm going to ask you to do three things today. Contact the New York Times via their contacts site. I'll post it down below. Let them know that they should live up to the ideals of objective journalism and opinions from across the political spectrum. Number two, call out the New York Times on social media for its culture of hostility to views outside the orthodox leftist views agenda. Number three, read Barry Weiss's letter, which I have linked down below, and let her know on social media what you think about her views. Thank you so much for joining me today. Subscribe below so you don't miss a daily episode. Hit the bell and comment down below about whether or not you think it's worthwhile to try and hold the New York Times up to the highest ideals of journalism and really urge them to uh, make sure that they publish competing viewpoints. Thanks for listening to The Gail Trotter Show, right in D.C. Be sure to sign up for her mailing list on her website, gailtrotter.com. And also, follow her on Twitter, at Gail Trotter, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe now, it's easy. Thanks for listening. Share the truth. Share The Gail Trotter Show.